Well, welcome to another episode and the first one for 2022 with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. And today I'm joined by two gentlemen from Munro Partners and one of those you'll be very familiar with, Nick Griffin, who was a very popular guest last year, is joining me once again on the couch. Uh, Nick, of course, is the founding partner and CIO of Munro with 15 years fund management experience. And joining him today on the virtual couch is James Sanidis. And James joined Munro Partners in November 2016. And he, this is this is good for uh, for us investors here. James is responsible for championing stock ideas and managing these positions. So I'm really looking forward to talking to James. Uh, he's been based both in Melbourne and Edinburgh and is entirely focused on the US, European and Asian stock markets. So welcome, guys. Happy New Year. Great to have you on the show. Thanks very much for doing this. Uh, thanks for having us, Henry. Many thanks, Henry. Um, just before we kick off, I have to remind all our listeners that this is general advice only. So please do your own research. Contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas or insights on this podcast. So, gentlemen, let, let's kick off with the, the subject, which I guess is most prescient at the moment for most investors, is this sell down, this massive uh, sell down. We've seen very short uh, well, certainly very sharp at the moment. What's uh, what's what's happening out there at the moment, Nick? Maybe you can help us sort of decipher what what's really going on out there. Yeah. So so ultimately, I mean, the sell down is happening because the 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 inf- transitory inflationary risks in the world, at least central banks, are coming to the conclusion that they're not transitory. Um, in central banks have a dual mandate of inflation and full employment. They've effectively got back to full employment. Um, post-COVID, and so now they feel they can remove accommodation to try and tackle some of these inflation issues. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it will be, It's ultimately the right thing to do to preserve the economic cycle or to sustain the economic cycle for as long as possible, and the risk is of, that the inflation will hang around, so why don't they move on it? In terms of the markets, what this means is interest rates might go up a bit faster than what people think, and, and people might have just got a bit overextended. Um, I'm sure at home, everyone's feeling maybe a little bit overextended, probably spent a bit too much money through COVID, and now they're hearing interest rates are going up, they might they might pull back a bit. Um, and that's and I think that, that, that that's fairly normal. So maybe the pendulum swung a bit too far one way, and, and, and now it's swinging back to the middle and, and may even swing a bit further the other way. So from that point of view, it doesn't really change anything. Earnings growth drives stock prices in the long run. Just the price you pay for them is changing slightly because because the the the, the interest rate environment is changing slightly. It's funny, isn't it? You would think that I mean we're we're on emergency interest rate settings globally, really taking into account the pandemic and and things are getting under control. You would think the market would be relatively sanguine about putting things back to a more normalised scenario even if it is over a long period of time i'm just wondering james when you're looking at the markets at the moment what's what's your take on this it seems that you know normalized interest rate settings we should be expecting as the world comes out of pandemic we don't need uh, zero or even in some cases in europe negative rates uh, is should we really be that concerned about this uh, change uh, in the interest rate uh, settings? Yeah, Henry, I think our house view really is that there is actually too much debt in the world. Um, and so if rates do move up, we do see that as a potential uh, problem for slowing growth quite quickly. And so although it doesn't seem like much in terms of, uh, you know, on a historical scale, you know, rates going from one to two to three or whatnot, the debt is just so much higher these days uh, relative to where we were sort of, you know, decades past. So, we actually do see um, rates staying relatively low uh, versus history for, for, for the long term. Um, and so 
with that backdrop, and 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 we do think you know the Fed is not going to um, to to overdo it on on the rates here. Uh, with that backdrop, we do see a, a reasonable environment as long as sort of rates stay in that sort of you know one to two ish percent range, uh, long term rates that is. So um, so although there's a lot of obviously concern at the moment because rates have moved um, a long way in terms of from that very low base. Um, so long as sort of um, the, you know those long term rates remain um, anchored, uh, which which you know there's there's many reasons to just say that there is uh, a good possibility of that happening, then um, then then you know we see the backdrop as being not too bad for for equities and particularly equities that can grow regardless of the cycle. Um, a lot of corporates are in really good health as well. Um, so although um, interest rates moving up. You know, we'll call the economy with the corporates uh, performing so well with um, you know good good balance sheets and so forth, um, and and having structural growth tailwinds behind them. Uh, you know, they, they should be able to grow the, the the type of companies that we're looking at anyway in the, in the sort of the structural growth areas of the economy. So so we see a reasonable backdrop despite obviously a lot of volume. Do, do, do you think we've just had it too good for too long? And then there's a whole generation of investors out there. Uh, I was listening on CNBC this morning and they were saying that 25 million new investors have kind of joined the market in the US in the last year. And, and they've got used to uh, these extraordinary gains we've seen in some stocks, some overnight on the back of, you know, meme uh, stocks. Uh, do you think we've just had it too good for too long and we're starting to get back to a more normalised market setting as well as more normalised interest rate setting? I, I can answer that if you like. Um, I mean, yeah. The answer is, is is probably yes, um, but that's that's the, the, the pendulum I was talking about. The pendulum swings one way maybe a little bit too far and then eventually swings back the other way or back to the middle and back the other way. I mean, that's perfectly normal. Most of us who've been around a long time have seen this happen before. Um, I suppose what I was just saying, and, you know, it's causing extra volatility with things like ETFs and a lot of put options and call options being bought on ETFs, which is then pushing underlying stocks around. Uh, But ultimately, that's an opportunity because in the end, we know that equity markets are made up of a few great companies whose earnings grow over a long period of time. And you're all these does is give you an opportunity to buy some of them at a, at a, at a much better price. Um, and so, yes, the volatility, while it's disconcerting for everybody, and, and yes, we have had a good run, so maybe maybe the volatility could continue for a while longer. Um, it's not going to change your medium-term outlook, which is that rates are probably going to stay low for all the things that James just said. And, and secondly, company, you know, investors will reward companies that can grow. Um, and thirdly, you know, there isn't a lot of alternatives to put your money anywhere in the world if, if rates stay, you know, within a 1% to 3% range. Um, and so all of that suggests that you, you, you should ultimately see this as an opportunity. Um, the hard bit, of course, Henry, which which everyone on the call wants to know, is, is, is when is that opportunity? And that bit, don't know. But uh, it's sometime this year. Right. Now, um, I was watching the news over the over the last couple of days. And there's snow in Athens. The Acropolis was was under snow. I don't think I've ever seen that. There's a massive snowstorm hit Turkey and Greece. Obviously, we are seeing the effects of climate change. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. And I know one of the uh, the, the the sort of the topics and the themes that you've been pushing is this whole decarbonisation and how investors get exposure to that and how the, the the best way to get exposure to that is that is that the theme that you've been uh, pushing for um, for a little while yeah james so why don't you talk about the climate impacts and and, and the backdrop and, and then i'll mm. talk about the investments does that work best yeah perfect um i suppose at the moment henry to your point i mean it's pretty easy to see on the news 
what's been happening and all these natural disasters and so forth. And obviously we do need to decarbonise quite quickly to hit that sort of 1.5% temperature rise that was set out at Paris, um, what was it, five, six, seven years ago now. Um, and so the current path of decarbonisation uh, that we're on um, in terms of just the natural progression of moving to electric cars and, and wind, wind power and so forth is not going to be fast enough to avert sort of a 3% temperature rise, uh, sorry, three degree te uh, temperature rise. Um, so to actually increase the uh, the pace of, um, of of spending is really important here to inflect that curve downwards to hit that 1.5%. And so we think, you know, by 2050, rough math suggests, you know, you need to spend about $30 trillion to do that. Um, and that, that, $30 trillion needs to be spent across a whole range of areas. And you could probably touch on it when we talk about some stocks, but across that sort of area, we need to invest not only in the sort of visible things today, like the renewables, so the wind turbines, the solar panels and so forth, um, and the, the cars uh, going to battery, uh, electric cars. Um, we actually need to also invest across industries that you probably wouldn't have even thought about. So we need to invest across energy efficiency across commercial buildings, residential, et cetera. So it's everything from lighting, uh, HVAC, et cetera, insulation, all needs to be retrofitted. Um, we obviously need to invest across transmission grids. Um, we need to obviously roll out um, hydrogen for hard to uh, uh, abate industries um, like aerospace and, and shipping and so forth eventually um, down the track. So, so there's multiple different areas we need to invest in here. And so that, that sort of $30 trillion number it's not just all, uh, I suppose the things we're trying to convey, it's not just all wind turbines and solar panels. It's um, it's going to touch pretty much every industry you can think think about um, is going to have to transition to hit that 1.5 1, 1. Mm. degree goal. So, so Nick, bearing that, that's a big number, isn't it, 30 trillion? Uh, where, where should investors be looking, uh, I guess, especially in the Australian market and even in the international markets, where should we be looking? Is it is it just an ETF kind of theme thing or is are there specific stocks uh, that will benefit more than others? Yeah, so so from our point of view, when we think about that 30 trillion, so so let's assume that we are going to attempt to decarbonise the planet here. I think most people are on, are on board with that. And it's not just a government initiative, it's a corporate initiative and it's an individual initiative. Um, and investors are demanding it, so, so ultimately we think it's going to happen. Uh, best example in Australia would be BHP, which, you know, publishes a very large sustainability report. I encourage you to look at it. It's got like 168 pages, including spreadsheets, showing them how they are moving towards their net zero target, which basically means it's going to happen. Um, that 30 trillion then ultimately becomes a revenue opportunity for the companies that can enable that decarbonisation. So, and that's where we start getting excited because that's a revenue opportunity that's an earnings opportunity that makes, makes up great investments. Um, and so from our point of view, you know, we feel that you could split it roughly into four buckets. So we've taken that 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 range, large range of opportunities and split into four buckets. And the four buckets that we think investors should focus on are first and foremost, clean energy. Okay. So we need to move to renewable energy. So that is the solar and wind turbines and 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 utility developers that James talked about. That's the obvious one. Uh, the second one would be clean transport. So we need to change transport to electric. Um, you know, your poster child there is Tesla, but there's obviously lots of other companies within the supply chain, be it semiconductors, be it charging terminals, etc., um, that, that that fit within that bucket. Uh, the third bucket we argue is energy efficiency. So here you're looking at standard industrial companies. Um, you're looking industrial companies like um, 
Schneider Electric that does electrics in your in your in your building, or you're looking at um, train technologies that can replace your heating, ventilation, and cooling equipment, which obviously needs to move off gas to electric to electric heat pumps. Um, and the last bucket we talk about is circular economy. Circular economy uh, is 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 the recycling side of it. Um, the 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 dirty secret at the end of all of this is is the world can't continue to grow GDP with the current resource base. It's a mathematical impossibility. Um, and so you have to be able to recycle more things. And so while resources will be very important at the start, um, you know, particularly on the clean transport and the clean energy side, you know, there are those resource winners that we have here in Australia. Uh, you ultimately end up with recycling as the key al as the alternative in the long run. Um, and so here you can just look at companies like Aluminium Can, companies like Ball Corp, um, or, or, or packaging solutions or recycling solutions. So those are those are some of the opportunities we think about. Um, in terms of opportunities for the Australian market, you know, outside of the resources, there's not a lot. Um, there's some good recycling companies also, uh, but we've we've dedicated all our work to to outside Australia, um, and and I suppose here's the chance for the plug. You know, we we have taken our best 15 to 25 ideas in the world, and and put them inside what we call the Munro Climate Leaders Fund or the Munro Global Climate Leaders Fund, uh, which trades trades on the Australian Stock Exchange now as MCCL. Um, and so from our point of view, you know, everybody on the call has a choice. You know, they can pick what they think is the best Australian stock or they can just buy MCCL and, and, and let us take care of it for them. Um, and so that is an active alternative. We, we recognise there are passive alternatives on the market as well. And and But that's the product that, um, that we think makes sense here because we think we're at the start of this huge opportunity um, it's clearly not going to be a straight line. There's going to be lots of bumps along the way. Uh, but this opportunity excites us because all these companies are very undercovered. Um, they're not expensive. Um, and it just touches so many industries. And if we just look at it through that decarbonisation lens, um, we, we, we can see we can see a lot of opportunities here. And hence the reason why we, we put the fund together. And what about, we, we talked about this just before we came on air, what about oil at the moment? I, 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 I must admit, I scratched my head a little bit. We're telling... Well, we're being told that global growth is slowing. We had some, uh, I think it was the IMF downgrading global growth. People aren't traveling the way they used to, whether it's by uh, jet airliners or by cars, etc. And oil is $90 a barrel. <laughs> you know, and we're being told about this geopolitical risk, etc. It just seems extraordinary. Is, is oil one of the, the, the bubble assets at the moment taken over from from crypto or from uh, from lithium stocks is or oil yeah. is that one yeah i can take this one i mean i think when you think about the climate transition um it's going to be a lot of volatility so there's going to be volatility on both sides so on the first side there's going to be volatility because of those weather events you talked about um that are clearly increasing in number and 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 should continue if james is right and i think he is which is that we're not going to hit our one and a half degree heating target at the current rate um and so those events will force people to, to accelerate investments, but they'll also cause volatility in commodities. Think about agriculture, think about different commodity markets and that volatility that comes from weather events. The other problem for the oil market in particular is no one's going to invest in it because they know on a 10 to 20 year view that, that it, you know, it's, 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 it's not part of the mix. It's like saying, I'm going to invest in thermal coal today, right? Mm. So, you know, thermal coal is where oil will be 10 years from now. Um, and so from that point of view, if no one invests in it, but we're still using it, then that's going to create these imbalances. Um, and, and that's what you're seeing right now. And no one's going to do anything about it because even if the oil price went to $150, no one will still invest. 
um, you know, round the edges they will, but you won't see, you know, your big oil companies like Shell and BP and Total are 100% invested in the energy transition now. You know, they're not piling new capex into finding more oil, they're piling new capex into renewable energy. Um, and so, yes, it will squeeze, it'll probably continue to squeeze up and down at different times, because um, the supply side is underinvested. Um, and and the transition's not happening fast enough. Uh, but in the end, it, in the end, it ends up um, as, as, as probably not a place you want to be. Now, now, James, in the blurb that I read out at the beginning, we were talking about how you champion championing stock ideas. Can you give me some sort of insight into how you look at stocks, how you find uh, the nuggets that are out there for your uh, for your funds and, and for your investors to invest in? What, what's the what's the major criteria there for you? Yeah, good question, Henry. So. If we take climate as an example, so across Munro, we invest in multiple of these areas of interest and climate's just one of those. Others are digital payments, e-commerce, you know, innovative health companies, et cetera. But if, if I just look at uh, climate, what we typically do is we try to understand how much money is going to be spent in that area um, to decarbonise the planet. So we talk about that $30 trillion number. So then what we do is we'd go through and we'd try to figure out where that money is going. Um, and so we talked about energy efficiency and renewables and passenger EV and hydrogen and so forth. Basically, try to come up with a percentage of that 30 trillion and where that's headed. Um, from there, Nick talked about sort of clean energy, energy efficiency, clean transport, circular economy. From there, we're trying to figure out what percentages are going where and who are the companies that are going to benefit. So if you take clean energy and you assume roughly 20% of that 30 trillion is going to be spent in, in clean energy, we want to figure out who's going to get that sort of six trillion of spend. The most obvious places to, to look um, are, in this case, the, the wind turbine companies, the solar companies, uh, the battery companies that are going to store it, the renewables developers that are going to develop it. So the traditional utilities, companies like Nextera Energy uh, in the US or Orsted, a, a Danish company that's an offshore uh, wind leader. Um, and, and we're trying to figure out what the revenue opportunity for those companies are over a very, very long period of time. Um, and if we have that right, that S-curve, I suppose, as wind offshore wind takes share, will lead to a very large opportunity for Orsted to grow its earnings alongside that for a very, very long period of time. Um, and then all the other work that we do is just about understanding the company's position. Um, Nick mentioned Total, BP, et cetera. They're coming in to try to disrupt or try to take share, not disrupt, but try to take share from Orsted because they can see that very large TAM, total addressable market in offshore wind. Um, and it's just for us about understanding, okay, how much share can Orsted hold as these other guys are coming in and what are their competitive advantages? And so obviously speaking to the company, speak to any analysts um, that we think have an edge on the company, um, speaking to uh, people all up and down the, the chain um, and, and just basically arriving at the best stock that we think is going to win from that opportunity. And so uh, we do that with it's Orsted in offshore wind or it's Tesla in EV or it's um, Kingspan in insulation um, or it's Tomra in plastic recycling um, on the circular economy side. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much how we do things at Monroe. James, it must be really, I mean, it must be pretty hard to be a, a, a global stock picker fund manager investor from uh from melbourne or even worse during covid when you just can't get out and about yeah and and, and talk to these guys face to face and you know you you can do all the zoom calls you like but i think at the end of the day you, you do need to touch flesh and, and and talk to people face to face has that been a major challenge for you guys look i, I can start off I, yeah I, I really enjoy getting out on the road and um you know these uh, bus tours that you do as investors and so forth and speaking to other people and and yeah, meeting the companies and we always try to build 
you know, rapport with the companies as well. So, um, yeah, it has been a little bit of a challenge, but hopefully uh, 2022 is a better year from that perspective. Yeah, the only, the only thing I'd add is, you know, obviously like us all, you know, Zoom's definitely made a big difference. Um, we can we can we can get our companies on the phone much quicker and easier than we yeah. used to be able to get them, uh, which is great for access and relationships. But yeah, it would be good to get back on the road as well. It would help. But um, but our access is you know thankfully we've been doing this for fifteen years, so we sort of know who all the people are to talk to, and and we've met most of them before. And I think everyone in this call would know that it generally helps to have a beer with a few people and your, your best friends for life. Most of that's already happened, thankfully. So we, we can get these guys on the phone when we need to, but 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 still very much looking forward to having a beer with them again sometime soon. Now, uh, the Australian market, I mean, we are very much um, pushed towards uh, resources and banking in our market. They make up such a massive part of the market. Uh, and lithium has been, I guess, one of the big standout stories of 2021. And the list, whether they're hopefuls, wannabes, explorers or... or upcoming producers is this a sector that you've been looking at the lithium space as part of that decarbonizing of the world yes we have um and so the one we look at is albemare uh in the us which which most lithium investors would know is is, is the biggest player in the space alongside the chilean players um which we've met before also uh we have looked at it we're not invested today it is it is however very tempting um i do think the the resource side of things is going to suffer if the acceleration happens at the speed we think it is and and we we think it will um you know the resources will not be there to fill that gap um and the price has to go up um Mm. and and that's what you saw last year um how long does that go for until supply comes on you know uh, longer than longer than one year but at some point supply does come on the the the, i suppose the last final problem we have with lithium is, is that ultimately it is it is abundant and and supply will catch up um, and so you're playing that game on a five, maybe a ten-year view, but 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 mm. but eventually the supply will come on. Uh, the other commodity that's out there that if we talk to Tesla, for instance, the one that they worry the most about is nickel. Uh, that's the one where the supply sources are, uh, you know, either Russian or African, and and you know that's the one that they need to make the car go faster. Um, less keen on cobalt, they are. Uh, but very keen on nickel, and and that's another one that we'd point to. I guess we're seeing that the way BHP is transforming uh, under Mike Henry to, towards the the new age materials, with with nickel being a, a massive part of that transformation as well. So, uh, where BHP goes, I guess everybody's going to be going as well. Yeah, I think um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think they're on the right track. Um, you know, you have to electrify the global economy. That's going to need a bunch of resources. That's going to take a long time. But don't forget, at the end, you're then going to have to learn how to recycle all those resources. Yeah, that that does seem to be one of the um, the issues with uh, with the uh, the nickel iron battery as well. Is is that whole recycling mm. uh, from from lithium iron battery? Uh, how you deal with it after um, you know, five, ten years, or whatever? That's going to be a big challenge. Yeah, so it can be done. I mean, so there's companies. Uh, if you're interested, there's a company in Belgium called Umicore that makes the world's largest recycling plants for recycling car batteries. It's building two new ones. Um, and recycling these these materials to to return them and and the reason why I just keep saying it's important is um, because remember not not because maybe the economics stack up to recycle it it would be easier to throw it away um, but just we're not going to be allowed to um, with with you know the customer you know you need to present to the customer the the full circular solution and that full circular solution is what the customer is looking for when they buy the car um, and so that's going to allow these partnerships to occur. Uh, both, you know, with Umicore on the battery, but even if you think about, um, and maybe the people in 
Sydney will know about this, or there's people in WA. But if you think about Tomra, so so you now have a collection system in 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 New South Wales. We don't here in Victoria, whereby you know it's ten cents, I believe, a bottle, mm. um, which you then take and recycle into a big what they call a reverse vending machine, which is a Tomra machine. You probably see them around, and you put them in, and the money comes out. And so this is sort of, you know, this is right at the start of these circular solutions that we're going to have to come up with. Uh, that's a government initiative, but but I I can see or we can see a world where Coca-Cola would sponsor them themselves because they need to be able to prove to their customers that the, the plastic bottle mm. that they sold you is, is, has been returned. And so some of us grew up with this. Some of the really mm. old ones remember collecting cans at the footy and things like that. Um, but this is all going to come back in a big way across every industry we look at. Uh, and so these people with the recycling solutions we think are quite interesting. Uh, now, you guys have got um, a couple of funds that are listed on the um, the ASX. How, how are they going at the moment? Have they been uh, suffering a little bit through this um, global reset of valuation yeah so 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 we run um global growth products so so munro partners our goal is to be your global growth investor that global growth investing is to to do exactly what we've talked about on this call to identify the big structural growth winners in the world um identify the earnings growth and that earnings growth will equal share price growth we just rebranded actually our new brand is uh new new tagline is invest in the journey with munro partners and the reason why we say it is a journey because we know it's going to be a journey and that journey as you as i'm sure everyone has called more recently has been down uh the journey prior to that has been up you know most of our funds are compounding at over 15 percent per annum now for nearly five years or so for over five years uh but there are going to be bumps on that journey um and more recently, yes, as a growth investors, you know, we've probably suffered a little bit more than, than, than say, your Australian stocks or deep value stocks. Um, but we also were performing much better prior to this. I think from our point of view, what the investors should think about is that ultimately why you're using the products. You're using the products to, to basically identify these structural growth companies that are outside of Australia that, that you know and use every day, whether that's Amazon or Microsoft in our global growth products or whether that's Tomra when you're recycling your bottles in Sydney, or whether that's um, you know how you think about buying an electric car and what could possibly go into that electric car. Um, our job is to identify those companies. If we identify those companies and their earnings grow, their share price will follow. There will be bumps along the way. There always is. There has been in the 15 years I'm doing this. There's a bump going on today, but those bumps will ultimately be opportunities for, for these companies to perform because in the long run, interest rates changing don't change who wins and loses in the long run. They just change the price you pay for them. Mm. We are going through a price you pay adjustment. It's something we're trying to manage, but it's still not going to change who wins and loses in the long run. And so from, from the people's listing point of view, they should they should think about that. And then ultimately with our products, that's ultimately the solution that they're trying to provide for Australian investors is, is to find these ideas outside of Australia that they can't find in their own stock market. And, and, that, and that's essentially what we're hoping to provide. Guys, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. The question without notice, given that we've had this big fall in the market, where do you see the value starting to appear on what if you had one stock that you were looking at going, oh, this is this is starting to get really, really cheap, what would that stock be at the moment? Why did you ever go, James, first? There's uh, <laughs> quite a few of them. I was just trying to think. I mean, obviously, a lot of them are in tech because uh, yeah. tech has been quite badly hurt here. Um, and there's obviously a lot of really good companies that um, you know have sort of already won their industries. Uh, and so, I mean, I understand a lot of these tech stocks down, you know, 50, 60, 70% that haven't won their industries that are still in what we would call the money fight stage. Um, mm -hmm. So there's still a couple of players throwing money at a problem or at a, 
you know, trying to provide a solution to a customer. Um, and so I can understand why the market's saying, okay, well, you've got no earnings uh, because you're spending everything that you get in in revenue. Um, but there's many, many companies that have already won their, their sector that are down a long way. Um, so Nick mentioned Amazon, um, Microsoft, et cetera. So pullbacks in these type of stocks are generally pretty good buying opportunities. Outside of tech, um, the renewable space has actually been sold off a fair way as well and, and, and in climate um, as well. So um, yeah, there's, there's some good opportunities there as well. Um, again, companies that already have really strong market positions, um, very, very profitable. Um, and so they're not going to fall forever. So a company like Nextera Energy is down probably 20% from the peak in the US. It's the biggest renewable developer in the US. It has massive competitive advantages. Um, it's also got a utility as well. Um, and so it's a very steady business. Um, and so when a company like that sells off um, to that sort of magnitude, that's that's generally a pretty good, uh, pretty good opportunity to buy. All right, Nick, you're up. Oh, my turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I mean, I think the thing that's, you know, the, the funny thing about the market today, and we, we've talked about this a bit, is, is you know, so, so what generally try, happens when these periods is people say, oh, look, interest rates are going to go up, so you need to be in commodity stocks and you need to be in financials and you need to be out of this and you need to be out of that. And, and, and I get it and it makes perfect sense um, in the short term. But, but the reality is people are diving in and buying oil companies, knowing full well that they don't want to own oil companies five, maybe 10 years from now. Um, and they're diving in buying banks, knowing full well that banks, yes, while they're cheap, are ultimately getting disrupted over time. And so I suppose the one, the one area that I think that lo looks really interesting here um, is, is semiconductors. Um, semiconductors have been a big part of our fund for some time. You know, you can buy oil today or you can buy the new oil. Semiconductors are the new oil. Uh, they drive the digital economy. Uh, we currently try to protect Taiwan like we used to try to protect the Middle East. We don't bother trying to protect the Middle East anymore. We leave and then we surround the warships around Taiwan. I mean, this tells you pretty much everything you need to know. Um, semiconductors are the new oil. This is where the growth is going to be. All of these companies have been sold off, yet there are these really burgeoning monopolies in semis, um, whether it's companies like ASML in Holland in lithography, uh, TSMC in Taiwan, which is Foundry, but the one I'd probably talk to and point to, the one that we like the most is NVIDIA. Um, NVIDIA, you know, is high multiple, high performing stock in every metaverse ETF known to man. So getting sold off in this sold off, sell off, but, but is a true exponential grower. Um, it is the hardware and software model for AI. Um, it's got genuine divs on one day being the biggest company in the world. And, and we know from our modeling that, that this company is a true exponential grower. Um, yet the market doesn't want to own it right now because it's a high PE stock. I get it, and it wants to buy oil stocks and banks, and and that makes sense on a on a short term view. But on a, on any three to five year view, you know the earnings of this company are going to grow somewhere between three and five times, and and the share price will follow. Um, and and that's why we like it a lot, and and that's that's I think one of the opportunities that's that's popped itself up. It's funny, isn't it? I put together a, a, an ETF basket um, at our oh, tail end of last year. And if I'd have been doing my Venn diagram, NVIDIA seemed to be pretty much in every... <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was the one stock that's... You know, going back to my math days at school, <laughs> it, the Venn diagram basically was NVIDIA slap in the middle of all these ETFs. Um, you know, it didn't even matter that they weren't particularly technology-focused, but they just seemed to be at the heart of everything. Yeah, and, and, and so we're discovering. And, 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 and um, coming back to what James said, you know, they've already won their industry. You know, they're mm. not in a money fight. They're not, it's not buy now, pay later times 17 different companies. 
you, if you want to do AI and program AI, you have one choice. It's NVIDIA. Uh, and I think everybody on this call knows that that is the future. And so, mm. so this, this, you know, optically trades at 40 times earnings, which feels high. But it's not high if, if you know that the earnings grow three to five times. And so that's ultimately the opportunity. And that's why we like it. Now, thank you guys for your time. It's been absolutely delightful. I'm just going to finish with a little bit of crystal ball gazing for you guys, because we are in January and uh, it's kind of every man and his dog gets asked, you know, where do you see the market at the end of the year? What, what, where do you guys see this? Year? How do you guys see this year playing out? I know volatility seems to be the, the sort of the, the byword at the moment. But we're going to see more of it. But how do you see it playing out over the next 12 months, not just the next few months until we get used to interest rates rising? How do you see it playing out over the next year? James, why don't you take it and I'll finish at the end. Okay. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, to, at the end of the day, I mean, everyone talks about the market, the market, the market. Where is it going? Uh, at the end of the day, we're buying stocks. So um, to be honest, you know, we're just got to try to pick the line in the sand of where you just have to basically buy these companies. Um, and so they're not, as I said before, they're not going to fall forever and they will keep growing. We know that they're going to keep growing. It doesn't matter if the GDP is zero or three um, or interest rates are one and a half or two. Hopefully they're not, <laughs> they're not three, but hopefully, you know, they settle around two and this volatility will stop. But these companies are going to grow through this regardless. Um, and so we do our sort of five-year plus modelling on the stock. Um, and when the multiple becomes compelling enough, um, the, you know, they'll, they'll stabilise and they'll grow. And so we're just basically going through this situation at the moment where we're looking at every company and where's that sort of line in the sand moment uh, for the stocks. Um, every company that we own, um, well, the vast majority of companies we own have net cash on a balance sheet or very lowly geared. Um, they've got these structural growth tailwinds behind them. They've all won their industries already. So obviously NVIDIA uh, is, is, a, is a company there, or Visa, MasterCard, and digital payments to use um, Nick's example of the buy now, pay later. None of these companies are in the money fight stage, so they're very, very profitable. And to be honest, the longer things are difficult, the better for these companies in the long term, if you think about it, because uh, there's no capital, there's no VC capital to try and fund some new network mm -hmm. that's going to try to disrupt Visa MasterCard. There's no VC capital for some renewables developer to try to come into the US and build a new solar farm to compete with Nextera Energy. Um, but there is capital for Nextera Energy because it has a fortress balance sheet um, and it has a very profitable existing business. So at the end of the day, um, I'll let Nick actually answer your question of where the market's going. But at the end of the day, these companies are going to keep on growing and and, and the share prices will, will follow the earnings. Yeah, so so from my point of view, I mean, look, obviously, you know, if, if I look at our fund, you know, our flagship fund, it had a 40% year in 2020. It had a sort of a double-digit year last year. Um, but the market yeah, and equity markets generally have had two great years. Um, it's natural to assume this year is going to be slower. Uh, and obviously, from where we started, it's clearly going to be slower because uh, where we are now. Mm. Um, I think all investors need to understand is that um, is that you know sometimes, you know sometimes it's it's just raining. Uh, you know sometimes it's just not a great time to take risk. And and when the Fed's hiking rates, it's not a great time to take risk. And when the Fed's hiking rates and they don't even know how many times they're going to hike rates, <laughs> it's not a great time to take risk. Um, and 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 you just have to. That's just being a little bit pragmatic within these great secular trends that we talked about. Um, mm. And when will it be a good time to take risk? Once we've got a handle on these inflation and, and, and where we think rates may level out. And that's sometime in the first half this year. It will get easier. Um, it probably might get easier even from today. 
because ultimately people will come back to the earnings growth and the value and the, and and the the fact that you don't actually have to pay too much for these companies that are providing vastly superior returns than than interest rates, but but sometimes as I said you just the sun will shine again it always does corporates and entrepreneurship will always find earnings growth which will find you upside uh, but for at least in the medium term you're just going to recognize that there's a little bit of rain around and, and maybe just just take a little bit less risk for a little while until you know the sun's going to shine again um, and, and I think that's a fairly simple way to think about it. I think what's interesting um, and I think those are great thoughts guys I, but I think what's interesting as well is when you look at the US inflation numbers okay seven percent and where that inflation is coming from which is transport costs which is the oil price pushing that up and you've got housing. And in previous times when we've seen the stock market shudder a little bit, money's gone back into housing as a kind of a, a bricks and mortar safe haven investment. So you've got two of the biggest components which could continue to rise. And yet the Fed's trying to fight it with interest rates. It's um, it's going to be interesting, I think, this year, to say the least. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, just to, just to defend the Fed just a little bit. I mean, the reality is asset markets have done very well. Mm. Employment, we're at full employment. Um, and so if you're ever going to try and avert the risk of inflation, which I think is the right thing to do, uh, because inflation will threaten the sustainability of this cycle, then you need to do it now. Um, mm. And what the RBA governor is going to have to do and all the other central banks around the world, they're going to have to catch up to this viewpoint quite quickly. Um, and this is just an unfortunate side effect of COVID mm. in the fact that COVID has created this boom-bust cycle that we never, we'd sort of, as we'd all forgotten about, right? The cycle used to just be nothing. Mm. And it was great fun to invest in a nothing cycle because earnings growth would just drive stock prices and interest rates would stay low. So now we're sort of back to this boom-bust a bit, but it's entirely created by COVID. And, and hopefully it'll smooth out very quickly, and I'm, and I'm sure it will. But you just have to recognise that now is the time for them to do it. It's the right thing for them to do. It's ultimately going to extend the cycle. Um, and so hopefully they get it right and get it done, and, and we, can, we can get back to doing what we do best. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you two at the beginning of this year. Really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Nick, James, uh, I wish you the best for uh, 2022. I hope you have as great a year as you've had in the past and, and the fun continues to grow. So thanks again. It's been, uh, it's been a delight. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you very much.